0: It is also, and I hope so, a book about Western capitalism in general, and yes. my, my argument is more or less, if it's even the case in Germany, then right. <laughs> um, the, the economy, which is widely regarded as one of the most stable, prosperous economies, economies in the Western world, then we can say this is part of a more general development. And... Um, I'm developing my my argument um, in different fields and the first field is a historical sociology of post-war capitalism in in Germany um, with particular respect to the labor market, social integration um, and upward mobility, the welfare state and I'm... um, making further points about why the resources of this post-war constellation, namely economic growth, um, have been exhausted in the last uh, 30 years. Um, And this is one of my major uh, major arguments that there actually was some kind of social capitalism which had allowed workers to get a new position, a better position in, in society, which wasn't only in terms of wages and and housing um, and holidays, but they had even more citizenship rights. And I'm doing this analysis with the, regarding to a British a sociologist, T.H. Marshall, and um, his argument was that um, there is an kind of development from civil and political citizenship rights to social citizenship rights. As a citizen, as a worker, you have the right of social stability, integration in in the social system, um, and even some healthcare rights. You're debating about these kind of rights right now. Um, And this development created, or this constellation created... A new social contract, or a new form of class struggle. And there was a famous German sociologist, Ulrich Beck, yeah. and he calls the situation as the so-called elevator effect. Which, and this metaphor meant that the workers and the rich people have been standing in the same elevator, and there had been sure some huge differences in terms of incomes, wealth and so on, but because both groups, workers and rich people, um, were going up in the elevator together, the question of class and and class conflict wasn't so relevant anymore. This was Beck's argument and to be honest, it had some truth in it. Until the, the 1980s, because until the 1980s before neoliberalism, neoliberalism became really strong in Germany, there, there was a huge upward mobility of workers and a, a huge increase in wages, social security, and, and so on. Um, but, even, but after Beck's, it has not, nothing to do with Beck's book, but after Beck has published his book in, in 1986, th- there was a beginning of a new development. Um, after German unification in 1919 um, wages collectively and individually um, have been beginning to fall for the first time in post-war history. Um, in particular for the uh, lower strata, it's not so much the lower strata, for the lower 40 percent of uh, the uh, German population so the work, basically the old working class or, the old and new working class and the lower middle strata. The, these kind of households, they experienced for the for nearly 20 years lower income, uh, lower incomes on the household level. So this was a complete new situation combined with severe welfare state, state cuts and neoliberal re-engineering of society, factories and companies um, which led to a situation where many people experienced in the subjectivity felt that there's no longer an elevator society but that they're they're standing on an escalator on an escalator which is going down. Um, And if you you ever tried this to to run up against an um, escalator which is going down I managed it when I was a child, (laughs) and uh, uh, had much less weight. Uh, So you 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 can do it one or two or three times, but um, not your whole life. Not not your whole life. (laughs) Um, And for for many people, this is now a daily experience. Um, And even if there's no actual downward mobility for them. Their, um, their experience is to running always against this downward going escalator. Yeah. And this creates a, a complete, complete new situation where not the old question of class, but question of class and new question of class are coming back into po- the political scene. Not in the form of traditional class struggles, but struggles of recognition, struggles um, of authoritarian character um, and um, struggles of again labor issues and social movements. And this is the situation Germany is in right now. Um, The the old society of social integration via upward mobility came to an end um, this means not that there's a general kind of downward mobility for everyone. There is still some kind or the possibility of upward mobility, but the, 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 the general upward mobility of former times. This, this pattern is broken. Um, and on the other hand, we have a generalization of competition and the life course. Yeah. Um, so, this is the first part the, the social decline in Germany. And what the situation makes so complicated, and then I come to the end, is a, a particular situation of modernization, and I think this is mm-hmm. even true for the United States. Absolutely. That in Germany, if you looked to, um, I, I haven't talked about the, the not the side effects, but the the, the parts of this social uh, modernity uh, in former times, that was um, the, um, the social integration of workers had the side effect of the not social integration of, of women, um, mm-hmm. the, the, that uh, women had to be housewives and that we had um, a, a new lower stratification of migrants. And in recent times, there had been severe, some kind of severe progress in the emancipation of women and migrants in Germany. And on, so we have progress um, in, in in this field, and on the other hand, um, regress in the terms of of class conflict or of vertical conflict. And this goes yes, hand in so hand. So so. And yeah creates a situation where there's now a huge debate about identity politics and class politics as in the United States. And there is no easy solution. Some people say, well, we should end identity politics and go back to class politics. Um, No, I I mean, I don't know if I can jump (laughs) in here, but the, uh,
1: no, I've always found that to be a very strange debate here as as well. And you're right. There's a debate happening here as well. but although i do i do feel like it's not it's a it's a very strange one i know very few, i mean perhaps it's different in germany but i actually don't know that many people who truly want to roll back recognition like the idea of like like a certain some kind of like uh sort of romantic social conservatism i mean it is kind of the trumpian thing right like yeah, make america yeah. great again um but on the left i get like I think there's some people who sometimes occasionally act, like, speak this way in an accidental way, but truthfully, um, the idea of like, through that there is some dialectic, right? Through recognition, eventually you would have to come to distribution. Mm-hmm. And through distribution, eventually you'd have to come to recognition. These things are sort of inextricably intertwined. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so this is basically the argument of the Hornet-Fraser debate. Yeah, as I was going to yeah. say, uh, yeah. uh, Nancy Fraser comes mm-hmm. quickly to mind as someone mm-hmm. who is, um, although this, this this sort of this is not where I was thinking we would start, but it's a really fascinating question um, because exactly as you put it, um, part of you know, what someone like Fraser does call, what does she call it, like progressive neoliberalism or something mm-hmm. like that, um, does in fact uh, politically and ideologically place a wedge. Um, that you can only have this without that and that without this. And I think that is one of the tr- tremendous um, difficulties, but also tremendous opportunities that currently the left is, I, ho- I think and I hope, achieving um, it- with a sort of greater mobilization here in the US than we've had. in.
0: Yeah, there are clearly more traps than, uh, than good arguments. Um, in my view, it is indeed not so difficult if we look back to the early history of of the working class movement then identity politics and class politics was really intervened and deeply intervened So it was a vision of class politics but even to be recognized as a worker and and to to have some some own position at the workers. Um, I actually don't know the correct um, translation, but one of, one of the, the, the best slogans of the 19th century was um, a decent wage for decent day work. Yeah, a, yeah this is a good A fair day's wage for a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a fair day's work. Yeah, 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 here but in the U.S. But, but it was about, uh, about the economy, about class questions. But they was no sustained. Mm-hmm. Capitalism is no sustained. No, of but course. the nature of the system is no sustained. That's the problem. Uh, well, okay. we get and to alienated I mean, labor in a moment. You I You mean a class?
1: No, it will fairly as work? Well, but it was, a, it was. I think the point was it that was it, w- it was a union it was a union slogan. It was a slogan also in, in Germany. Um, and it was often sort of lived out or expressed through various identity positions. I mean, if I could jump in here, yeah. um, one of the things that I was really wanted to make this comparative analysis with the, the United States um, is that both in the case that um, Oliver lays out in, the, in this book, and also if you sort of follow American you know, post-war history, things of this nature, um, even the sort of success story is a little bit scare quote success story, right? Um, and in the US, of course, it is uh, there's a both uh, e- both economic situations, right? What you what Ulrich Beck eventually calls the elevator society. I mean, I feel like American economists have been pumping that up as a, you know, rising tide raises all ships kind of language mm-hmm. for eons. Um, but of yeah. course, not all ships were being raised, right? Um, so, very similarly across Germany and the United States, you have the um, a sort of uh, unwaged labor being done primarily by women uh, uh, in care work and, and social reproduction and all kinds of uh, fields like that. Um, and then interestingly differently, and differently, it's sort of two different and actually quite, you know, it would be interesting to talk about how they jibe and they don't jive, uh, but in the U.S. of course there's also a racial caste system, um, so you have underwaged labor coming uh, uh, being um, Personified in, in African Americans. Uh, and in Germany, you have this sort of guest worker situation. Of, and guest worker here not being only just like, oh, I've immigrated in for just a job, but like, I think now we're up to what the fourth generation or fifth mm-hmm. even generation of, of predominantly Turkish uh, guest workers in Germany um, who are sort of propping up some of this uh, other parts of labor who are, you know, it's not, again, it's like. Half the truth. It's like there was this uh, sense, there was in fact some distributive measures that were possible. I mean, the other thing I would mention here is that there was a whole world system that, particularly for countries like the United States, like Germany, I made a joke before, if there was a guy from Japan here, or or a woman from Japan here, it would be even better. Because we could all talk about um, imperial rents that we were all collecting from various parts of the world. Um, So in some ways, the story that, uh, and this is very much in the book, and I think it's very crucial to this story about the sort of splintering um, of both these ideologies that end up in these very sort of frankly dumb debates, I think, about uh, identity politics versus distribution or class politics. Um, sort of have their beginnings in the way in which this was already a bit of a myth uh, in the in the 50s and the 60s um, and then by the 70s and this might be worth talking about and I don't know if you mind sort of going, going back into it but by the 70s this had sort of run out um, right that this uh, this post-war arrangement, at least here in the U.S., and from what I gather in your book as well, and it seemed to be very similar to many stories that you read about, you know, the crisis of the 70s, that it actually was no longer almost physically possible to keep this this sort of win-win post-war compromise going. Is that...
0: Yeah. Like, even with
1: those sort of divisions and things of this nature.
0: In the the 70s, um, there was a beginning... Of a new economic situation. And yeah. th- there's this fabulous book by Robert Brenner. Yes. Um, about the uh, it's called the Long Downturn. Yes. Um, and he, he is talking or writing about um, the beginning of the falling rate of that the, the, the profits yeah. rates are falling again. Yeah. Um, what? He was not writing about was about economic growth, and at the same time, when profits rates were falling, for the first or for the first time in the post-war constellation, um, growth rates have become um, falling uh, for now 40 years. We are not entering a stage of a non-growth capitalism, but a kind of capitalism where the form, former growth rates of uh, a year, in my view, will never be reached again. And in my Um, view, it would be probably a really catastrophic outcome, actually, if they
1: were.
0: (laughs) This is another question. Should we even uh, try to get uh, back there? I mean, it's
1: one of the things I find,
0: you have a whole whole chapter on this sort of post-growth,
1: and I love the way you put this, because sometimes this debate can be very arch Um, And I love the way that post growth sort of gets us past the archness of it. Um, Mm -hmm. When you talk about the Brenner thesis, you talk about the tendency of the rate of profit to fall. Mm -hmm. Um, This is hard to account for with financialization and and things of that nature because we do have record record profitability right now, but it's almost like profitability from strip mining, not like a sort of proverbial strip Mm -hmm. mining, not like actual strip mining, although that too. But you you do sort of synthesize this with the secular stagnation literature that comes out of mainstream macroeconomics, people like Larry Summers, Robert Corden. Um, And I'm very, very fascinated by this. So I I, I, uh, would love to sort of hear, because in my view, this... Is actually, it's, there are many on, um, even on the left, even on the far left, who are like, yep, we're gonna like switch back into high growth. And there's like two interesting questions to my mind on this. One is the, the ecological one, which maybe is outside the frame, mm-hmm. um, like whether or not that's a good idea, like just tote court. Um, but the other one uh, that's, I think, very much in the frame of, of your text and of your work is it seems like for the left, this is almost like a great gift. It's like really. The, it pushes the question that redistribution must, at least to me, be on the table, um, as opposed to this kind of like elevator society.
0: Yeah. Uh, so clearly, we sh- to get getting back to higher growth rates would be an ecological disaster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I agree yeah. with that. Would be, what? would be an ecological disaster. Yeah. Ecological yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on the other hand, um, I think this question isn't on the table just no. because we won't get back No, it's also, it's,
1: it's, 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 it,
0: that's <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. That's
1: why I find your synthesis that's yeah. it's one that I think is very important. It's also like almost like it's not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's not gonna happen. <laughs> You, know, it, you can't, but it, there is a way in which, e- if I look at even like the Trump tax cuts, for example, mm-hmm. i an American example again, um, I it, mean, it's kind of like sh- really shitty version of Keynesianism um, mm-hmm. in, in its own weird backwards mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And it, it, yeah, it got us back to about 3% for a bit, but now we're back down to about 1.7. Like, it, it you can't, part of what's interesting about the story that is coming out in a text like this, but I think in several others as well, is that... It's not going to be very easy, or pro- it doesn't seem likely that Keynesianism
0: like, is possible <laughs> mm. into the future. I don't know if you're doing yeah. that. No, we, we, we can't look into the future, but we can look into the past. That's a good um, point. And the, the history tells us, for the last 40 years, that growth rates have been, on average, not absolutely in every year, um, mm-hmm. declining since the last 30 years. Um, independent from what we've actually doing um, to support them. So the Keynesian left always argues we should have higher wages, more state or fiscal ac- activity, and so on. Sure. Which is clearly a good thing. Um, yeah, but, all for <laughs> <it>. <laughs> But we shouldn't think or assume that higher wages and more state activity would create more growth. That's right. um, on, and the implication is really huge. <laughs> the implication is that so, you're doing so, wealth transfer. Yeah, so if we could expect with s- some viability that we haven't better growth rates in the next years, there will be will be with some necessity some um, distributional conflicts in society. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's, a really, that's a really polite way of putting that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, another way we could say, Class struggle is coming back, yeah. or even for the United States, it has already a comeback. Yeah. Uh, I was on the tube and it was really fascinating because there were ads all in every. In, oh, every, in the subway? Yeah, mean. in yeah, the subway. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, the, the ad, well, uh, the, the 15, um, $15 minimum wage is coming. So that there's a public ad. Of a minimum wage in the subway, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, we're having um, And this kind of distributional conflict uh, is even coming back in some sort, some new class struggles, but not in in the old form of class struggle. Yeah. of the traditional cohorts of the working class, even yes. uh, um, um, in particular for in, in Germany, the, the traditional working class, they have been the, the coal workers, the mine workers, the steel workers, and mm-hmm. even the workers in the automotive industry. Which, Which you they, go into in some yeah. depth, really beautiful depth. Um, but depth. But the main problem of the workers in the automotive industry, they're partly still very well organized but they are deeply integrated into the world economy and are really dependent on their own competitiveness. So, in the past, and I fear even for the future, it, is, it, it wasn't very likely that they were going on strike and were going on, on conflict. Yeah. What we could see, but, but what we could see that, that there were new social conflicts, new strike waves, But not in the areas or sectors which have been very well organized by trade unions. On the contrary, but in the the areas where the unions haven't been strong before. Because in in these areas there were low degrees um, of citizenship rights, of low wages, um, low levels of collective bargaining and high aspirations of recognition. One, right. one of the best and most yeah. interesting class struggles in Germany in the last 10 years was uh, these, yeah. these several, several strike waves by, um, by nurses and uh, kindergarten workers, educational workers. It, and it was a strike wave with the explicit term we are striking for recognition, which in effect means we want my money, <laughs> and um, in the end, it's always about money, yeah. but but it wasn't about money alone. It was about production, and in particular about reproduction, It's about condition, me- I, mean, uh, so the, I mean, this is something that, again,
1: was like eerie reading your text, um, and I'll, I'll sort of start with an anecdote, just on the flip side, because a lot of people um, Uh, in the United States look to the last year or so, last two years and say, we're having a strike wave. And that's correct uh, in some sense, Um, largely driven though by one sector, um, Mm -hmm. by teachers, Uh, largely driven against union leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you actually want to see a really good comparative example of this, um, look at the reaction of actually quite right leading union leaders Mm -hmm. in a couple of places like West Virginia um, who said, you know what? The membership were right, we were wrong my bad, Uh, to someone like, um, uh, is it Hector Figueroa, SEIU here, where the leadership came out, where the members were saying, we're not so sure about this Amazon shit, Uh, and the leaders were like, no, 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 it's great. And they were like, well, our members are idiots. Um, and it really is this fascinating break. And what you get into in, in your tax that I also see, you, know, you talk about um, subcontracting and the ways in which mm. uh, you know, it's almost like little miniature, fin- what I would call financialization, right? You usually see, uh, in the US, when I look at firms that do this, it's usually across many, many, many borders. In your cases, it's like there's like a building next to the building mm. where like subcontract workers are doing. And there are like tech campuses and things that work that way in the US. But the sort of quote-unquote traditional proletariat is like still like kind of doing okay. Very much uh, uh, tied in, t- and it's a very small like whatever we call this traditional industrial urban proletariat um, is growing smaller. Um, and is also very much tied, as you were saying, uh, not only to sort of like the, the economy and the global economy, but to the success of the firm. And a lot of in the American labor context, it's, I think it's a little different than Europe, there still is this idea of sort of negotiating to the contract or um, right, uh, uh, on a firm by- firm basis, And that's like not really going to work. Uh, if, if basically you're negotiating for your firm to lose to become mm. unprofitable or extremely close to unprofitable. Um, the amount of, of friction and conflict that's going to cause is really high. Um, and I'm curious, you know, so this is not something that a lot of lefties want to hear, I have to say. Like, because, you know, well, a lot of us have read our marks, right?
0: <laughs> well, I understood but the economy.
1: No, but the, the thing that's challenging, at least to me, from a theoretical and sort of thinking about this as a system is, uh, there is a, and uh, I think I'll ha- happily hand it back to you to talk about this because you get this so well into the book there's a splintering of interests across the working class um, where you do get exactly examples like what you're just giving, and in fact I have friends who are journalists who just come back from touring, you know, classic you know, industrial plants, and there's still quite a lot of radicalism in unions and things like this but there's this splintering of interests between a sort of, uh, you would say, like elite workers and this whole other set of casts below. Mm. And it is fascinating to me, again, that, the, that you're saying this thing with the nurses in Germany is so parallel to the, where the strikes have been most successful in the U.S. as well, which is in sectors in which it's not arranged so much as like negotiating with the firm for profits, um, it is about money, it is also about communities and recognition, and it usually involves a much larger, um, it's not only in the workplace, right, it's a much larger citizenry, let's say.
0: Yeah, uh, I think your your argument is is, is valid. Um, I'm just arguing for that we have to, or th- that we need a broader approach. What is the working class? And in Germany, on the left, the approach of the working class was more or less the industrial working class. And I think this is wrong. Um, and we have a, a, a reconfiguration of the working class. And the interesting thing is, why are the teachers winning? And why are the no- and I, 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 I conducted a lot of empirical researches in hospitals in, in Germany, and most of the strikes, they failed. Mm. And, and, and they failed, and it was very, very difficult to organize the, the, uh, the doctors and nurses. And I always assumed, oh, my God, and they're really huge, as you know. The hospitals. I always assumed that they have a kind of work ethic, uh, ethics that don't allow, doesn't allow them to strike because they have to care. But but this is situation radically changed, um, changed in, in in the last uh, three years, and against my previous research. This sector has become one of the most successful sectors of organizing okay. uh, because the situation be- became so dense, so problematic inside the hospitals that most of the nurses said, well, we have this work ethic, but because of our, of our work ethic, be- because we want to care about the patients, we need more wages, better, better situations, more, more colleagues, more, um, be- better resources. To care properly uh, for the patient. So, this became f- from a restriction to a resource. This is wow. one. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and the other thing, just yeah, one yeah, point yeah. is yes. market power. Um, so, Germany has a situation right now of nearly full employment. But, full employment, I, I call it precarious full employment, because we have a dense labor market. Yes. But, one third of the labor market is really unsecure unemployment. <laughs> it can get worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a precarious labor market. No? So one third of the labor markets are very unsecured jobs, basically. Oh. With low with no wages. But um, there's a situation that for the reproduction of society and the politicians and the CEOs of the hospitals and so on, they, they know it. That if everybody's working, you need mm-hmm. people who's caring for the children uh, and who's caring for the older people. So, if you if you're going in, on a strike in the uh, in in the health sector or uh, in the reproductive sector in the kindergartens, you have got a lot of market power right now. So,
1: this just, intersection
0: yeah. of uh, ethics, norms, values, yeah. and market power this gives uh, gives them a particular strength. And on the other hand, last point in the in the workers factory or in the automotive factories I think the, the situation in Germany is different just in one term that if you are a regular employee f- for Daimler or BMW you have a pretty good life you earn a lot of money, you are very secure in uh, your, your job You, yeah, you yeah, you earn money like an upper-middle class professional, but if you're not a regular employee and you're a temp worker, so we have a proper dualization of the labour market or inside the factories, then you earn basically 50, only 50% of them. But, but this creates not a situation of solidarity, but a situation of competition. Yes. Um, Intra, intra-class yeah. competition. That's
1: precisely. It's it's interesting to me you call it market power. Mm-hmm. Um, when I've looked at this in the US, the things like teacher strike, the recent um, strike threat. It wasn't even a strike, right? It was a strike threat from mm-hmm. the, um, oh, god. She's so wonderful. Sarah Nelson, she uh, does the flight, uh, flight attendance union. Um, Just the strike threat was enough to to sort of get some things moving, and one of the things that ties those together in the U.S. was a they they were threatening political legitimacy, Hmm. Um, and it's really interesting because these happen in two very different places, right? Um, But uh, even in very right leaning, extremely right, I mean, very far right leaning places, uh, or political places that. Their representative politics are very right-wing. The teacher strikes struck a note of delegitimization because right basically are saying you are not like they had a kind of communal what's the word a a, a community representation power Mm -hmm. and it was precisely this argument you're talking about with with the nurses saying like look. Where the like, the like the sort of backstop on mm-hmm. education, where the backstop on the community institutions, mm-hmm. uh, if 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 we're not being supported, then you're you've basically just given up on society. Mm-hmm. And this is an incredibly, it, I see how you say it as a market power, but to me it also is a, a strong political power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I think that's really important um, to note. And this question of like, whether the working class, what is the working class? It's actually a really tough one, because uh, as you say, there's this intra-class conflict. Um, and at the same time as you're pushing these distributional class questions, which are explicitly class conflict, um, and... Yet, like, again, if people have sort of, like, read their classics, um, there are a lot of specific things that are supposed to make the proletariat, right, very powerful, right? Um, they're supposed to work in close quarters, they're supposed to be at these uh, key, you know, economic choke points of society, but that doesn't really exist, especially in many sectors anymore. So that's a really big challenge. I wish I had an answer to it, I, you know, I, I, I don't. Um, but that's one of these huge issues of sort of, of, of where this kind of research is very important because uh, we're not going to be able to, to go back and say oh, the proletariat's going to work out. I mean, uh, that's ca- part of what I was taking from from that section
0: of, of your text. Yeah, but maybe we should discuss in a more historical and philosophical Please. way about proletariat. Yes, uh, happily. What is the exact meaning of it? <laughs> and, 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 and I really think that. Oh, I haven't found such a text about what did Marx mean with the term proletariat. I, and I think he, he was a guy who had a very humanistic um, education, yeah, yeah, yeah. and his term was, as I assume, much more influenced by the classical and original meaning. Oh, like, w- the pros, like the proles, like the yeah, the, the, the people who had nothing without only their bodies. Yeah. Um, and they had nothing to, um, to only to, to give the bodies right, inside yes. the fight. And he was using, in his work, as far as I see it, using proletariat as a force of change in the Communist Manifesto, mm-hmm. and sometimes use it interchangeably as a working class. But I'm not
1: sure... I, uh, as,
0: well? as working class. And uh, so, and I, okay. I, I, I think it is not very clear that Marx was, if he was talking about the proletariat, only was talking about the working class, the or the actual working class. I mean, because if you look in the 19th century, as Marx was writing, the there was no industrial working class, in, in the sense... So, well, there if, wasn't like Manchester yeah, yeah. yeah there was Manchester, but most people uh, in Victorian capitalism were employed as um, servants in and and households and, and, yeah. and, and, and so on um, And I think if you you if we yes, go. Are, if we are beginning of a rereading of the term of proletariat, then we have an intersection of industrial workers, service workers, yeah. people who are involved in housing conflicts uh, in in bigger yes. c- in, yes. in bigger cities and i th- I think this this argument of of david harvey it, it's not completely right, but he has marriage point. Which one. Go ahead. Uh, so he says. Well, the, the class struggle of the future will be mainly an urban class struggle. And oh, I don't know it. about that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Will so, yeah. you
1: mainly urban?
0: And yeah, an, an urban class struggle, it, it will, be, will happen in the, inside the city and not inside the workplace. And I'm not sure about Oh, I see that. what you mean. Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: he means service workers as opposed to industrial workers?
0: No, he means outside the workplace. Outside the workplace. And I I think he's not right about this. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think there there will be a new conflation of of struggles where people see each other in some some antagonism to the elites and capitalism. I agree with that. So Uh, I have to uh, sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, This idea
1: that Mm -hmm. sort of conflation and the recognition um, as an uh, uh, elites question. speaks very strongly to me um, on the sort of historical philosophical stuff, you know, it's, it's interesting because of course Marx's position also changes. I mean, not, and I'm not trying to do that young Marx, old Marx thing, but like, yeah. but like, you know, sometimes, you know, 18th Brumaire or whatever, right? He's the lumpenprolet like the peasants the lump and the lumpenproletariat are like this disastrous part of society. But yeah, you get this other versions in which it does feel like, you know, sort of the wretched of the earth, right? That it is this sort of, Every you know one gigantic class of the underclass versus one gigantic overclass, and I do think that there's a lot in there. Um, the same way you're saying you're not sure that Harvey is correct that it's only outside. Mm. Um, I would just say that it, I'm, I am. I think, at least, that it's definitely not only inside. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. gonna, it's gonna bleed through. Um, in my own work, I, I've talked about that. You talk about the exhaustion of social modernity, which I think is mm-hmm. a beautiful phrase, and yeah. I think this idea of exhaustion or that things have run out is very powerful. The exhaustion. Of what? He, uh, uh, Oliver talks about the exhaustion of, so, of social modernity in his text. Mm-hmm. Um, that this sort
0: of old model has kind of run out. Um, I make a distinction between social modernity, which is basically from basically the, the post-war situation until the, the late 70s. And now I call it the, the new situation regressive modernity, because it is not only regression. We have s- still some progress, but progress is combined with some regress. Right. So progress for women's rights but regress from... Yeah, right, in, in
1: the US I think we would recognize this as like, again, recognition rights, um, struggles for uh, legal equality for um, sexual minorities, for religious and ethnic minorities, um, currently very, very vehement and, and uh, difficult struggles around xenophobia, um, Islamophobia, things like that, but that in some ways progress had been made uh, but at the same time, the unden- undeniably um, massive economic regress across all categories is, is, is occurring. So I think that's that's the yeah. Yeah. in American terms. I think that's the, the way we're look, that this is happening.